Welcome to the February 20th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-12, through 12, and the sermon is entitled, Paul the Pastor, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. So I want you to take your Bible, turn in your New Testament with me to 1 Thessalonians. We are on a journey through these two letters that the missionary Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, a brand new baby church. First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, let me briefly bring all of our listeners up to speed as to where we are in these very early sermons in Thessalonians. As a missionary of the gospel, Paul and his team traveled and established churches for the Lord Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel of Jesus, seeing people saved. And in every town, community, and city that they came to, they would take that group of saved people, brand new Christians, and form a church there. And so he was traveling with his team on the home territory. He was in Galatia at the time, a place that he was very familiar with. The team had grown up there. And God brought the missionary team in Asia to a standstill. And they didn't know the direction to go because God had pulled back in giving them the guidance they needed to know the next place to go. So Paul and his team were impatiently waiting on God's word as to where we are to go next as a team with the gospel. In a vision God gave to Paul, and you can find this vision in Acts chapter 16, the history book of the New Testament, a man stands on the shoreline of a brand new land. He is standing on the shoreline of Europe. The Bible calls it Macedonia, the man of Macedonia, standing on the shoreline of Europe in a place that was a pioneer place for the gospel, a country that had not been touched with the name of Jesus. Many, perhaps most of the people on the continent had never even heard the name. And the man of Macedonia, in a vision to Paul, given by God, is motioning for Paul and his team to come help us here with the gospel of the living Lord. So Paul gears up his mission team, and they immediately sail about 100 miles, coming to the continent of Europe. The first stop off the boat is the city of Philippi, and a church of new Christians is planted there. Lydia is the first among the saved there, one of the women that they found in a prayer meeting. And people were saved in Philippi. They planted a church there. But the mission team in Philippi was beaten and imprisoned and persecuted and finally run out of Philippi by those who were against the gospel of the living Lord. So they had to leave behind that little church in Philippi. But undaunted... And simply because they were persecuted, did not send them home, but rather they moved to the next large city. It also was about 100 miles away, but that city was Thessalonica. And Paul begins, his mission team begins to preach there. He arrives in the city preaching the gospel of the living Lord Jesus Christ, even in the synagogue of Jews in Thessalonica. And miraculously, many people in the city of Thessalonica were saved. A great variety of people were saved in Thessalonica. There were Jews from the synagogue saved. There were Gentiles from the city saved. There were important women from the city who were saved under the preaching of Paul and his team. And so the nucleus of a brand new church was founded in Thessalonica by a great variety of people of different cultures, different backgrounds, different shades of skin. In fact, as I said last week, that little church was ripe for prejudice because of the great difference of people, people who had differences in the way they lived and the way that they understood how life was to be carried on. Jews and Gentiles alike united as a church. 
Why did they survive with that kind of background? Because they were people of different backgrounds, but the same Jesus lived in their hearts. And that's what brought them together as a church. The Holy Spirit of God living in them, uniting them, bringing them together under the cause of Christ. It is the same glue that holds us together, church. The Holy Spirit of God living in us. Jesus giving us the footsteps that we are to follow as his church. So yes, we're different people. Yes, we have different backgrounds. Yes, there are different shades of skin here. But the same Jesus lives in us. And that's what brings us together as the church. That's what allowed the church at Thessalonica to continue to minister. Sadly, the same pattern developed for the mission team as it did in Philippi. The team was persecuted. They were run out of Thessalonica as preachers of the gospel. But they left behind a small, brand new, baby, thriving church of the living Lord Jesus. Now, Paul and his team would have loved to have stayed and discipled them and pastored them. However, persecution sent them out of town. So Paul writes these two letters, First and Second Thessalonians, sending it back to the church to give them guidance and support and encouragement and letting them know that he's proud of their ministry and he's praying that God will continue to bless them and carry them. He can't be there because he's not allowed back into the city. So these two letters stand for his guidance for the church when he personally could not be there. Now bear in mind, Thessalonica was a lost, idolatrous, ungodly city. It was hard to minister there. Being a church in Thessalonica was not a cakewalk. It was challenging. Because every time that they ministered together, they faced some hardship or some challenge against them because there were so many in the church who were opposed to the gospel of Jesus. So being a church there was not easy. But today, as we look at these new believers and Paul's words to them, we're seeing how Paul uplifts them. So turn with me to chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians in your Bible. This is a very unique chapter in your Bible because we're learning so much about the man Paul. Now, if I asked you, after the many, many sermons you've heard me preach about Paul, the missionary, what would you say was the most important fact about his life? Probably many of you would say, well, Paul was most likely the greatest missionary who ever lived, and he modeled missions lifestyle for many who have served in missions. Correct. He was probably the greatest missionary surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ who's ever walked the earth. But if you said, well, I believe that Paul is one of the greatest writers on the earth, and he was one of the most intelligent men on the earth because over half of my New Testament was written by Paul under the inspiration of God. Correct again. So he was a major mover in the early church, but he continues to move the church under the direction of God today. He's, a, he's an amazing man but by the description that we have here in the Bible, I don't think Paul had a really commanding physical presence. He himself says that he's not the best in speech. And we also know that he had some physical ailment that followed him all of his life. He asked the Lord three times to take this ailment away, and God said, no, you're going to keep it. But he said, when I'm weak, the Lord is strong. I'll keep it. But he was not the most commanding physical presence. There was a weakness in him physically. And yet he's the missionary of missionaries. His life has inspired millions of people. But chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians is very unique in that here we see Paul as a pastor. We see his pastor's 
heart. And I believe that as I talk about pastors today, this is a very timely season where we need to look at the office of pastor. And we need to see the pastor of what, what that means for the church today and in the future, the leader of the local church body. Now, Paul's missionary spirit always kept him on the move. He was always wanting to go to the next area, to the next pioneer place where the name of Jesus had never been heard. And yet, when he founded a church, he would love to have stayed there to be their pastor for a limited period of time. For example, in Acts chapter 19, we, say that, we see that he stayed with the church at Ephesus for two years as their pastor. That's the longest that we know of any place and with any church that he stayed uh, in the account of the Bible. But I want you to open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12 today and see Paul as a pastor and what that means and how it ties in to my life and to the pastor's lives here and to the church here. This is a rare look at Paul's heart for people. So we're going to begin with verses 1 through 3. Keep your Bible open. We're going to incrementally get through the first 12 verses. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 as we begin. Remember, he's talking now to saved brothers and sisters in a brand new church, and he loves these young Christians. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before, and were shamefully entreated, as ye know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Let's stop right there. In these three verses, Paul says, when, when my, my mission team and I came into Thessalonica for the first time, we didn't come in vain. That means we didn't come in vanity. We didn't come in pride. We didn't come in patting ourselves on the back for how great we were. But rather, we didn't, we didn't come in to be famous. We came in to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We didn't come in to take your money. We didn't come in to deceive you. We didn't come in to gain fame for ourselves. We came in to proclaim Jesus we came in to proclaim the gospel of God. That was our sole intention for coming to Thessalonica, was to lift up Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Paul says in verse 2, we were bold to preach Jesus in Philippi, but that invited persecution. That invited us getting beaten. That invited us getting thrown into prison. But we didn't lose heart, and we didn't quit. When we got run out of Philippi, we came directly on over to Thessalonica to preach the gospel to you. I want you to look at verses 4 through 6 as we continue on. Go to verses 4 through 6. Here's the true pastor's heart. 1 Thessalonians 2, look at verse 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. So look again at verse 4. Look at the beginning of verse 4 again, back up there, where Paul says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, uh, to be able to preach 
The gospel of the living Lord is a trust that is invested in the person who is preaching. It's a trust that is given by Almighty God for that person to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says here. God entrusted Paul to preach the gospel in Thessalonica and Philippi. Listen, friends, to stand in the pulpit, to stand behind a holy desk and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to lead others in the message of Jesus is the holiest of trust from God invested in us. To lead others to know who Jesus is, to lead others to the throne of salvation and grace is a holy trust of God. This is his holy word. It's a trust to be able to open and preach this word of God. There's a purpose to the pulpit. And the preacher is under the holy command to be faithful to the message of God that we find in his word alone. And we can't run off on another rabbit trail, and we can't seek another path. We're to stay directly with the gospel of God, as Paul calls it, that we're going to preach the word of God. God's word for God's people, that's what the pulpit is all about. Amen? And it is to always remain that way. You know, on Sundays before church, I'm almost embarrassed to shake hands with you. Before church begins, and I try to get around to some of the congregation. One time I tried to get around up in the balcony. Somebody said, what are you doing up here? <laughs> but I like to shake a hand or two and say hello, give a hug every now and then. But I'm almost embarrassed to shake hands with you. It's not because I'm worried about you passing me a virus. That's not it at all. I'm embarrassed to shake hands with you because every Sunday my hands are cold and clammy. And the reason for that is I am nervous and I am almost anxious because I'm headed to this pulpit to teach the Word of God to you and to a, a church family that's gathered on streaming. We don't know how many is out there, but I believe it's thousands of people out there on the stream hearing us today, hearing the Word of God today. Friends, if you don't know that you're handling the Word of God, you better be nervous about it because it is a holy, holy trust invested by God Almighty. And we have to know, take it with great concern that we're going to do our best to stay solely on the Word of God and preach the truth of God. Now, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the ant, you, don't have to, you don't have to turn there, but the ante raises up on the preacher because... Hebrews 13, 17 says every preacher is going to give a, an account to God of what he preached from the pulpit. Friends, if that doesn't make your hands sweat, I don't know what does. But believe me, it is a holy trust, and there's a great responsibility. It's a burden of trust, but it's also a thing of joy to be able to stand in the pulpit, to, to address the Word of God. And I am so blessed to see you here and to know you're there on stream and to know that we're going to hear the Word of God this day. But th this responsibility cannot be taken lightly. And that's what the Bible impresses on the preacher. Now, here's major, major guidance for the preacher as well. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, that this pulpit is not to be used for pleasing men. This pulpit is not to be used for stroking egos. This pulpit is not to be used for building some huge congregation that is based on fads or some kind of entertainment. That's not why the pulpit exists. It is to address always the Word and the Gospel of God. And we can't stray from that. The pulpit is not to be used to make the preacher rich or famous. That is not the right usage for the pulpit. There are plenty of millionaire preachers out there. I desire not to be one of them. 
I don't want to take worldly gain. Praise God, you have supported my family almost 40 years. And every bill I've paid and everything that we have and the home we live in, you provided it for us. And I thank you for that. I thank you for your provision for your pastor's family. And the pastors who serve here, your, your provision for us. But we're not here to get rich. We're not here for worldly gain. We're here to serve Jesus Christ. But thank you for your provision to us. But the pulpit is not to be used to make one famous. You know, there, the gospel is not one iota about a famous preacher. If you talk about a preacher and you use his name more than you use Jesus' name, something's wrong. The preacher's message is Jesus. The preacher's message is salvation and grace and blessing and discipleship and following him. You don't follow a preacher, you follow Jesus. That is always the way, that is always the word of the gospel. Paul says, as God is my witness, it is about lifting up Jesus Christ, the saver of souls. That's what the pulpit, and that's what the preacher is about. Any preacher worthy of the gospel is preaching from the shadows because he's throwing all the light on Jesus. It's nothing about his fame, and it's nothing about his fortune. It's about the Savior, Jesus Christ. We're nothing more than messengers. Jesus is the one who gets the light. Jesus is the one who stands in the spotlight, not the preacher. Now, here's a wonderful picture of Pastor Paul. Look at verse 7, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7. Paul is speaking about himself and his mission team now as they're in preaching in Thessalonica. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Paul is using an analogy here of a nursing mother with her child. Now, when a mother has an infant, she has to eat a very good diet because in order for that infant to grow and get the proper nourishment, mom is passing nourishment to the child, and she has to be well-nourished in order to pass nourishment to the child. Paul is saying in the very same way, the teaching pastor has to study and meditate and pray on God's Word. He has to be healthy in spirit he has to be nourished himself on the Word of God before he can pass nourishment to you. An unhealthy mother cannot support a healthy child. An unhealthy preacher cannot support a healthy church. Now, the church is composed of many, many ministries, many outreaches, many avenues that we reach out into the world. But I heard a very prominent preacher said, it all starts in the pulpit. If you don't get fed here the ministry of the church is going to struggle. I believe that to be true. So the, the pastor, the preacher, has to be in good strength and good nourishment himself so that you can be strong and well-nourished. That's what Paul is saying. I agree with that. Now look at 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 8 and 9. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. That's the second time he said that. The one responsibility, Paul says, that we brought into the city of Thessalonica is that we preach the gospel of God to you. 
That's the definition of a good pastor and a preacher worthy of the gospel. The true pastor is going to preach the gospel of God, but Paul said that's not the only thing we did. We came into the city to love you. You were dear to us. We didn't come in just to preach the gospel. We came in to love you in Jesus Christ. We saw each one of you as individuals. And every person who came to Jesus is important to Jesus and important to us. So we really had two purposes in coming. We came to preach the gospel and we came to love you in Jesus. That's a great definition of Paul as a pastor and a great definition of who the pastor is. You see, friends, a pastor is not simply a preacher. It is true that his ministry is very much centered behind the pulpit. That is true. Preaching is crucial to this office in the church. But standing in the pulpit is not the end of ministry for the preacher or the pastor. Paul says the true preacher will be a pastor who loves his people. A pastor who loves his flock. And you'll notice that he says you'll love your flock day and night. You'll love your flock when your phone rings at 3 o'clock in the morning. You will love your flock when there's problems that you need to resolve. You'll love your flock when days of challenge come for your church. You will love your flock when the days are joyous and happy and moving forward. You'll love your flock in every situation and in every minute of the day and night. You'll love your flock. Preach the gospel. Love your people. That's the definition of a good pastor. And I want to tell you this in my experience. The greatest gift that any pastor can receive, we, we want to love you. But the greatest gift that a pastor can receive is when you love us in return. And I want to say this to you, and I mean it with all my heart. I have never, in the hundreds of pastors that I've met in my life, I've never met one that's been more loved than me. And I thank you for that. I thank you. I think I can speak that for Clyde and Jeffrey and Tom. You love your pastors. And praise God for that. It's a blessing to us. Look at the last two verses that we studied today. Ten, actually three verses, 10, 11, and 12. Paul says this to the church. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. Paul says, when our mission team came to you in Thessalonica, we came in holiness, we came in honesty, we came without blame. We wanted to be good leaders of the faith to you. We didn't come to take your money. We didn't come to make a name for ourselves. We came to lead you in the Lord Jesus Christ. We desire to give you good direction. He goes to another parent, parental uh, guidance here. He said, we, we, we guided you as a father does his children. We gave you good guidance. And Paul says, we model the faith so you would learn to walk in Jesus Christ by watching us. We model the faith so you could follow us and thereby follow Jesus. We wanted to model Jesus to you. Now, those are heavy words of direction for the pastor. Paul says our life as a model is to be the pastor's life. We live out our faith so honestly that you can confidently follow our lead. Again, friends, that's a huge responsibility when the Bible says, Pastor, you model the faith for your church. 
that's a responsibility that to me is just awesome because, of course, you know, and I don't think any pastor here or any pastor worth his salt would disagree with me, we're still fallible and we're still human and we still make our mistakes. We still uh, sometimes have our own faults that we fall to. But our hearts have to be centered on living for Jesus. Our hearts need to be centered on being Christ-like, looking more like Jesus every passing day. You know, a life verse for me is that I must decrease and Jesus must increase. I want to look more like him today than I did yesterday, more like him tomorrow than I did today. We're still imperfect, we're still fallible, but our walk is to be centered in Jesus. And when the pastor stumbles, my prayer for us is that you'll forgive us and that you'll move ahead with us. Do remember that we are imperfect, but pray for God's strength as we run the race and as we lead the church. Clifford Baptist Church, this is a timely sermon. Will you pray God's strength on your pastors? This was a sermon that's more about three of us here than about the congregation in general. This is your response to your pastors. Will you pray for us? You know, Paul unashamedly asks at the end of this letter, pray for us, pray for your mission team. Today I'm asking you, church, pray for your pastors. Pray for us to stay true and strong. Pray for us to be able to see the temptations when they come our way that we're able to withstand it in the love of God, that we will bypass the temptations as they come. Will you encourage us to stay the course as you love us? Will you pray for us? Now, again, this is a very timely sermon because you know a transition is coming. Will you pray for your next pastor who stands in this pulpit? You begin praying for him now. You know, as I've talked to many, many parents over the years, many parents have said, you know, my, my child is a newborn or five or ten years old. I'm praying for his or her spouse right now. I'm, because that, that little boy or that little girl is in the world somewhere, and I'm praying for that spouse for my child right now. Pray for your next pastor. You might not know who he is, but he needs your prayers right now. Pray for him to be true. Pray for him to be strong in this word. And pray that he'll feel you loving him as he loves you in return. How important that is. I don't know of any other church that loves its pastor more than Clifford Baptist Church loves its pastors. You continue that route. You do what God calls you to do in that. Paul teaches us that's what happened 2,000 years ago. It's to continue to happen here. I love this church. And you know that Gwen and I are always going to be somewhere in the area to help any way we can. But we pray for the church. We pray that you will continue to love each other and we will move forward in the days to come. And the church will continue to give the gospel of Jesus Christ as you go into the world. But let me say this as I close. There may be someone here or someone who is listening by streaming today who has never come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want you to know today, beyond a shadow of any doubt, that he loves you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, he loves you today. He loves you so much that he died on a cross for you. He died on a cross shedding his blood, laying down his life for you, that you might be forgiven that you might be saved. He loves you that much. Today I might know you. Maybe today I don't know you. Maybe we'll never meet on earth. 
But in love, I say this to you as I give you this invitation. This is not my invitation. This is Jesus' invitation. He says, I want you to come to me. I have done literally everything I can do to save you. I, I, I literally laid down my life for you. And I literally physically rose from the dead to give you eternal life. But you have to accept me. You have to say yes to me. I'm a gentleman, and I will not force you into the kingdom of God. You have to come. But if you will come, I promise you I will not turn you away. No matter what your background holds, no matter what you've done in the past, I'll forgive you of that. And I will take you as my son or my daughter. And I'll walk with you in relationship for the rest of your life and for all eternity. You just come to me. Say yes to me. Accept me as your Savior. Today, if you need that invitation, it's his. He's asking you to come. And he will gladly receive you. If you're in this house, you come to this altar. Let us pray with you. Let us lead you to Jesus as Savior. If you're on stream, wherever you are, you can say yes to Jesus today. If it's in a kitchen or a car or your living room, wherever you are, you say yes to Jesus today. He will receive you as son or daughter. Church home, whatever the need, whatever the healing, our God is a big God, and he can take care of us. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for this moment in worship to you, Father. Thank you for describing what the pastor is. Lord, I am once again humbled that the pastor has a huge responsibility that can only be carried out by the grace of God. Physically, humanly, we can't do this work. We have to be surrendered to the will of God in our lives. Jesus Christ is our Savior. We want to, Father, develop lives of strength and nourishment so that we can nourish and strengthen the church of God. I pray for our congregation to pray for its pastors, that we will always remain true to you and true to our church. I pray for our congregation, Lord, the congregation gathered here as well as those that are gathered by streaming that you send us out into the world, as Paul said to that little church in Thessalonica, that we might love people and that we might introduce them to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Help the world see something different in us. And that thing that's different in us is the Holy Spirit, the love of God residing in us. And what we have, the world needs. Help us to go as witnesses. Help us to go to show the world that Jesus loves every man, woman, boy, and girl who crosses our path. Bless us, Lord, as a church to reach a lost, hurting world. We love you. We thank you. If there's a need for a church home, a need for a healing, thank, that, thank you that you meet us here and bless us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.